you're listening to Get Real KC with Jen and Eric. Kansas City's consumer-facing real estate podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Get Real KC, where we are overflowing with a passion for all things real estate. I'm Eric Jurgensen. And I'm Jen Justice. And today in studio, we have the chief of sales and marketing for JR and Company, one of the best roofing companies here in Kansas City. And you guys are in a lot of other locations. Dave, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Hey, uh, I, I just I can't tell you how excited we are. We've been trying to uh, connect with you for a while because we know roofs are like one of the big four costs that you always look at when you're looking at residential. So thanks for joining us. Pretty our, much as important as a foundation. I, yeah, roofs, I mean, roofs foundation, roofs are windows, important. right? These are the big big ticket items. So it's it's wonderful to get an expert on. We say it's protecting what matters most. That's right. Absolutely. All right. So. Um, we want to talk about all different kinds of things, roofing. Uh, we're, we're going to be limited on time, so we're going to have to skim the surface a little bit on some of these. Uh, but I just kind of want to start out with, uh, from a, a buyer's perspective, and maybe a seller's perspective a little bit, but certainly a buyer's perspective, it's something that is a big deal all the time, which is a roof inspection. Kind of want to start there. I want to, you know, wh- because... A whole home inspector does a precursory roof inspection, and then some people, based on maybe what they see or their opinions or their budget, they want to get another roof inspection from a qualified roofer. What kinds of things should people be looking for? Well, I think if the general inspection by the, um, you know, seller's inspector or whoever is, uh, or buyer's inspector is, they notice some things. It would be a really good idea for them to call out somebody that's narrow and deep and do a full, what we call 20 point inspection. And that would include, you know, really identifying the age of the roof, the condition of the roof materials, things looking at things like the gutters and that sort of thing, as well as downspouts, the valley, the edge metal, and ventilation is big. Uh, in roofing, and and maybe we can talk about that a little bit later, but also just assessing any potential damage that might be there, and um, also any maintenance issues. Right. So, well, and I think I think we can just go there right now because I know it's one of the things that I talk to clients about a lot, which is the condition and quality and stability of your roof, 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 right? Whatever it's called, right? The roof. That thing uh, over the top of the house, right? right that they yeah, had that that thing over the uh, the exterior is only one piece of the pie and ventilation talks about the interior essentially up in your attic in most roofs and most residential roofs um tell us about ventilation uh because you know there should be ventilated sealing these things yeah how's that all work well basically you want airflow through your attic uh to take heat away from the interior of your house but more importantly in some cases the fact that that heat trapped up there if it's not ventilated properly will affect the uh, life cycle of your roof itself Um, it gets extremely hot the ratio should be 50 percent intake 50 percent venting and things start to show up on roofs through an inspection that are noticeable if there's poor ventilation so, and I know we'll talk about maybe some other things, but but having your roof properly ventilated will extend the life of a roof. Absolutely. Right? Because we get down to sort of the nuts and bolts of things, and that's pretty important to consumers. And save you a ton on energy when it comes time to cool your house. Yeah, no kidding. Because <laughs> I know I don't like crawling in hot attics. <laughs> it's hotter than heck anyways. So imagine when they're not vented properly, it'd be like a death sauna. <laughs> 
So there is a there is a thing on the on the top ridge of roofs, and I'm gonna I think it's called a hip vent. Well, a hip or ridge vent. Ridge vent. And okay. those are built in and shingled over usually. Right. And then you also have the box vents, and you'll notice them periodically, maybe every six to ten, twelve feet, depending on the space that the vent is covering. Uh, and they're up near the ridge, but they'll be about a 18-inch uh, by 18-inch box-looking vent that's usually color-coded to the shingle. Gotcha. And so that's like, and it's it's pretty flat. It's like a couple inches yeah, high. Yeah, it's, it, it's off off the roof about four inches total. Now, I also see on some homes, I see uh, a, a metal, uh, I call them the chef's hat, that spins. Mm-hmm. Is that also ventilation? It is, but they're a little bit more unsightly and susceptible to uh, wind and weather and hail and that sort of thing. So um, in this part of the country, we usually see ridge or box vents. Gotcha. All right, excellent. So right away, venting is really important and something that um, should be noted on your inspection. And your maintenance. It mm-hmm. should be part of your maintenance uh, protocol to make sure that the soffits, which draw the intake, are clean and clear. And, um, and then, of course, that the vents are clean and clear and working properly. So you mentioned maintenance, and, I th- and I'm thinking to myself, most people understand that they should have, although they don't, they don't always do it, they should have their HVAC checked once or twice a year. Right. Is that the same with a roof? Well, not maybe that often, unless you're in a situation where maybe you have a lot of um, debris from trees and that sort of thing that are clogging gutters and causing other problems. But at, I would say as the roof ages, you would increase your frequency for inspection to where maybe it's in the last uh, five, six years of its life. You probably want to do it every year. And keeping an eye on the ceilings is just an easy way. I mean, and I think we don't have a habit of walking around our house with our eyes up at the ceiling. But especially after a rainstorm, I can tell you that personally we had a roof leak in the garage that we didn't notice for a little bit. But I don't go in my garage and constantly look up. So we did not notice the leak until it was about a foot in diameter, which means it had been leaking for a while, unfortunately. Right. And, you know, the, the cost to repair something on a proactive basis is always less than it is when you have to react and then um, you have interior damage and so forth. Exactly. I had a valley issue. There and I go. didn't know I had a valley issue. Um, we knew so. you were a valley girl, but. Yeah, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, valley issue is probably going to end up costing a couple of grand, which was really funny because we got bids from 700 to, what was it? I think I told it on the podcast. It was like seven hundred to forty-seven thousand dollars. Oh my goodness, <laughs> forty-seven hundred. Yeah. yeah. No, just... it was forty-seven thousand dollars. It was a literal like we want to take and do something with every valley on this house, and it was a really, really uh, different type of bid. Well, so. I, that bodes a serious question that we'll be asking here a little bit later, which is how do you vet your, your roofing contractor? Absolutely. But let's, let's stay with some more of the base education. Now I know. Uh, you just mentioned like where I want to go next. That's so perfect, Dave. You're just you're feeding into it perfectly. Which <laughs> you've is, done is, this before, Dave. Yeah, you're apparently you understand this topic. <laughs> the uh, uh, I want to talk about the different kinds of, of shingles. Now I don't want to get into. I mean, we can mention here in a minute the exotic stuff, the stuff that's high budget. But let's just talk about your more standard budget stuff and some of the terminology around it. And I'll just kind of toss out some of my ignorance that I've cleaned up a little bit in preparation for the <laughs> podcast. But but uh, I think of the 
asphalt shingles. And I thought then maybe they are. I thought that term and the term architectural shingles were kind of interchangeable. Uh, and I get I get some no here. And well, that's what I've learned now, that there are different kinds of asphalt, et cetera. So what is it most people are putting on your houses that are, you know, um, you know, not your multi-million dollar houses. Sure. The average um, homeowner who buys a new home is going to get probably a three-tab um, lower-end shingle that maybe has a 10- to 15-year life. Um, it's a lightweight asphaltic shingle, and um, it's just not heavy enough to be considered a premium shingle in any way, shape, or form. But um, if you know that going in, you just know you're going to need to replace it fairly quickly, you know, within a decade or 12 years or so. Um, it doesn't handle hail as well in this part of the country, which we get, or wind resistance, just because they're lightweight. The next step up would be the uh, um, architectural. Okay. Heavier, um, probably 15, per, 15 to 20% more costly um, at acquisition, but the lifespan goes up to 20 to 25 years. Um, so so, so really you're paying 15% more, maybe 20% more up front, but you're getting double or close to double the lifespan? Absolutely. Okay, so, so if so that's you are building yeah. a house, I mean, and you can upgrade, that's a great time. Uh, but if you're replacing, don't, don't go back with the low-end shingle if you plan on. Three-tab. Yeah. The three-tab is going to cost you uh, when you sell the house as well because um, it's going to be more susceptible to an inspection where – Super easy to look at and tell, too. It's yeah. like, oh, that's a cheaper roof. Exactly. How do you tell? They just lay real flat and look like just one big thing instead of there's dimension. There's no contrast. There's dimension to an architectural roof. Okay. That's, you could probably describe it better than I am. To, but You start to get some uh, dimensional capabilities because of the thickness. The next step up, though, is where you really see the difference. And it's a, it's a class I want to kind of focus on for, for homeowners and buyers and sellers out there because – um, this, I, I have a really good first world story here. I just had my roof repa- replaced from wind damage, full replacement. And I went with a class three hail rated shingle, which is one step above architectural. Mm. It gives more definition. It has, I did a nice, um, midnight and then charcoal, uh, pattern. Pattern, yeah. And so it looks almost like s- slate from the street. It's, uh, noticeably thicker so when you drive up on it you you it does look like slate and then and then the class three hail rating um, is brought about by the extra asphalt the resistance to hail and wind and it gave me a 15 percent discount on my homeowner's insurance i was just going to ask that i wow. knew and that my the insurance companies would like it, it. he's oh, like yeah. oh we love it you know uh, most insurance companies big ones love it because they know that it's going to take hail. And the way that gets the class three, it, they take a two-pound ball, drop it 20 feet, um, uh, inch and a half around, and if it doesn't destroy it, it'll get a class three. Okay. And so that is a big piece of hail. Yeah. It weigh, no, no hail weighs that we much. We don't get a lot of storms like that. We don't. We're not we Oklahoma. Did, we did in, uh, we did in uh, 2011 in, in Olathe. It was... It was a shredder. We called them a shredder. Right. And it was like two and a half inch, and there were just thousands of homes destroyed. But the ones who held up were class three and above. Class four is the premium shingle. It is twice as heavy as an architectural. So it's also twice as expensive as an architectural. 
<coughs> excuse me, um, but it's um, what it does is it has the capability to handle even higher wind speeds, heavier hail. The whole concept is just on steroids. Just like a hurricane. However, the expense and the fact that it you really don't get that much longer of a life cycle out of it. Right. Makes the class three versus the class four a better value. Is so that like a 50-year? Did you say it was 50 years? Well, they used to do it by year. Yeah. They really don't do that anymore. Huh. Um, okay. You know, they, they, they had the, the ratings on there. Now it's pretty much they'll just give you a, a term of, you know, a range. But they won't give you like 30, 50, whatever. Right. So that, that, that's that. good to know, right? Yeah, because absolutely. We, we've talked about, we're talking about the, these products now. So we're talking about a three-tab, an architectural, a class three, and a class four. And so as a buyer of these things, you're going to make some assessments. Uh, so I have two questions. And the first one is, with the heavier shingles, is there a structural difference that you need to be doing for your roof? Is the is your roof need to be stronger? Is, is there any issues there? Usually not. However, um, if you're doing an overlay and putting a second layer on, there may be if you have a class four and you're putting another class four. It gets pretty heavy at that it's, point. It gets pretty heavy. I, I, I've never really run into that. Right. Most people that are at that level are going to go ahead and tear off. Tear off, right. Off. I mean, isn't that the recommendation? Almost always tear I, off? I, I would think so. Yeah. I mean, you just don't want to inherit the problems of the old roof. And then, and I guess my next question is, and it does play to that age. So, it, and I certainly remember buying shingles, and they say, "Oh, this is a, a ten year, and this is a twenty five year." And so, even now, if they're doing ranges, so let's take the uh, architectural shingle. What's a typical range for one of those? I think you can get a twenty five year to thirty year architectural. So, if if, uh, if you're getting a range of let's say twenty five to thirty. Can you really expect 25 years out of that? It depends on your maintenance, and it depends on your weather pattern. Okay. And probably trees. I mean, we right. have that's a big part of the maintenance at my particular home is the trees right. drop stuff, and valleys get clogged, and vents, and, whatever else. I and mean, don't so, forget the ventilation because that's yeah. a big player and a killer of the life cycle. If those shingles, whether they're a three tab all the way to a class four, if they're overheating on the backside, that asphalt is breaking down, and that's your strength and structure to the shingle itself. Well, I know I was just, uh, I saw something, and then I was just in preparation looking it up that it's not uncommon for us to get roof temperatures uh, uh, north, south, hotter whatever that is, <laughs> yeah. hotter than 150 degrees on a roof, oh, yeah. uh, which is, you know, I guess we don't t typically think about that. All we know is roof work is hot, sweaty work, but um, maybe I didn't know it was that bad. So Well, and it kind of depends on the color of your shingle as well, the darker, obviously. Um, there's, some, there's a trend going on in, in roofing materials now, too, where um, people are mixing uh, types of uh, – you know, shingles with metal or slate. For example, my house, when we re-roofed, we, we put the dormers in standing seam black, and then I have the, the black and gray. Um, standing seam black, so that's metal. That's metal, yeah. yeah. And it's just an accent. It doesn't cost a lot more, um, but it, 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 it makes your home look distinctive in a lot of different ways. So if you're thinking about re-roofing, you know, sit down with a contractor that can give you some options and you might be surprised how you can really, as we say in Oklahoma, gussy up your roof. <laughs> gussy, gussy it up. <laughs> hey, um, you know, we mentioned metal roofs and, and we certainly didn't prep for this, but you know, in the Northeast, uh, 
metal roof is common, and mm-hmm. uh, particularly way up in, in, in Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, um, very, very common. Almost, I always assumed that was because of snow loads. Uh, that that but barns uh, a lot of barns around here actually have metal roofs metal roofs is that mm-hmm. is that is it's a trend now is it um uh, what's they, the lifespan of those kind of things 50 plus um you want to be careful on your insurance and we'll talk maybe a little bit about insurance because it plays into to the the roofing industry big time but if you have a policy and you have a metal roof you'll want to probably make sure that you have a cosmetic clause because you can get a fairly light hail or that will dent metal. It will not you know, cause any water intrusion or anything like maybe a shingle would. But uh, you, you might have a uh, pock, pocked up uh, roof. You know, it's kind of like Get a pockmarked roof that insurance won't cover if right. you don't have a cosmetic clause. Exactly. All right, that makes sense. And we, it's a great segue. Let's talk about insurance, right, in Kansas City. I mean, you know, everybody says with a grin on their face, I don't buy roofs, I wait for a hailstorm. <laughs> So, yeah. so, I mean, and obviously uh, anybody who's do, who's roofing has to work closely with insurance companies. Sure. Uh, any tips or tricks there for us? Yeah, I think so. Um, I've got a couple of points. Let me go back to um, insurance um, and what we were talking about with the Class 3 shingle. I would say, d- first of all, do a policy review on your existing roof and see what you're really covered for when it comes to the roof. Um, insurance agents a lot of times want to just give you the lowest premium when a slightly higher premium could give you much more protection. And to give you an example, my roof was wind damage. Um, they came out and inspected, the in- adjuster did, uh, and before we did, and uh, or I had my roofing company uh, do it, and uh, they came out and they adjusted it for a $6,000 repair. But the repair was on shingles that were 21 years old, so they were not going to match. Well, I knew I had a matching clause. I mentioned it to the adjuster. Happens to be he's a third-party adjuster. He's never even seen the policy. So my agent verified it, and he goes, I'll call the adjuster back out, which he did. And we got a wind lift um, uh, uh, claim on it. And because it was missing about five shingles, I got a whole new roof because of the matching clause. Oh, wow. So that's something if you're, you know, on the insurance side. The first, the other thing I wanted to mention is that it's a great idea if you suspect. Hang on, I have to take a note. Call insurance agent. (laughs) It's funny because I do this with my car insurance and I don't do it with my homeowner's insurance. It's great advice. My insurance agent actually, because of the inflationary stuff, contacted us. And went through a policy review yeah, on all yeah. of that. And we have a concrete you think I'm roof, kidding. I'm so take, that I'm, helps our insurance, no actually. Kidding. Yeah, that's you, great. Yeah. You think I'm kidding. I'm actually putting on my calendar <laughs> to call my... All right, I'm sorry. I'll, I make, I'll make myself a note to remind you. Yeah, go ahead. But if you do suspect maybe a storm rolled through and you, you heard some hail up there or high wind and you're not sure, don't call the insurance company at that point. Call... Um, a reputable contractor to come out and if they find damage that they think would be sufficient for a claim they're gonna let you know um, and then you can call the adjuster and then it's always a good idea if you feel confident with that contractor to have the contractor meet it meet the adjuster that way what the contractor saw that caused him to say, hey, call the adjuster, he can make sure that the adjuster sees. Yeah, you- and it's always kind of that rule of better 
more than one set of eyes, especially on something like that, especially it's a huge investment in your house. Okay, so that's just going to lead me to, right, and I apologize if I haven't warned you ahead, but now the skeptic in me is going to come out <laughs> a little bit, right, because I've been through this a couple of times, and I've been through it with third-party adjusters and adjusters from the uh, my insurance company as well. Um, it, it seems to me I can very quickly and easily get into a position where I've got a company out there uh, that's prepared to do repairs uh, who has done an inspection and seen something. I've got an adjuster out there. And if I'm not picking the right people, uh, and I won't have an option to pick the adjuster, so if I'm not picking the person who is who's inspecting my roof, I, I feel like neither one of those people really represent my interests. Mm -hmm. And so that, that leads us to what kinds of things – should we be looking at, and we're, we're going to talk about JR and company here in a little bit because we, we know you guys, we have a lot of trust and faith, and you do a lot of things other than residential. So you have a ton of roofing knowledge. But just in general, when you are looking for someone to come, hey, I, you know, I think we might have a problem, or I know we have a problem because I have some water coming in, what should they be looking for? Um, and I'm assuming it's not the person who comes knocks on the door after a hailstorm. Right. I mean, in selecting a contractor, I mean, the best re way is a firsthand referral. Neighbors, um, you can put out on your social media, hey, does anybody know a good roofer? If so, you know, and get some good firsthand from people that you trust uh, their opinion and had experience with that contractor. Hey, it's That's kind of the way, way we recommend uh, you get realtor referrals. You could also do a Google search, but a lot of times there you're going to get People that have great, you know, websites and SEO that pop pay to the for top. that, yeah, yeah, or pay for it, but but even even then, y you can get some good ideas. But look at the re look at the uh, the Google reviews. Um, are there a number of them? What are they saying? Is there consistency? And then call those guys out and you interview them. You know, they can come and do the inspection. And how responsive are they? How, how fast did they get back to you? Um, were they professional? Did they send out a representative that you would trust? Um, and, uh, you know, I would say our industry is not really highly thought of in terms of integrity. And a lot of it has to do with the storm-type roofing companies. Yeah, storm chasers. But Absolutely. those guys hang around sometimes, and uh, most of them aren't local, but they'll stay in a market for a while. So look at how, who's been here, who's local, who's going to be able to come back and respond if they miss something, which happens on a roof. Water is an unbelievable Houdini. It can get in anywhere. It can get out anywhere. So, oh, and so, where it is in your house has not necessarily anything to do with where it's coming in. That's right. And, runs and down the wind the blows it in and, different oh, yeah. directions, and, right. you know, it's just crazy. So, But picking a contractor is big, and um, – and developing a relationship, if you happen to own multiple properties and that sort of thing, find a contractor that you can trust that's your go-to. Um, they're going to really appreciate the, renewal, the, the um, you know, renewable business and the relationship as well and, um, and, and work very hard for you. I'm going to ask you a question on that topic. So I know with Storm Chasers, a lot of times they show up in town and they tend to ask people for money up front. Oh, yeah. So what would you tell our listeners about uh, a contractor that might show up and tell them, you know, they've got an insurance claim, they're going to get all this money, because I think that's probably pretty common when we have a bad storm. And then they're like, but I'm going to need 500 or $1,000 to get started. Total red flag. Very red flag. I, I would say that about any trade, to tell you the truth. But uh, the, 
the other thing is check and ask for their licensing agreements because most of the townships here will require permits. And if they're not licensed, they can't pull a permit for you. So you, that's a red flag if they don't have um, a licensing agreement. And then, um, you know, just you can pretty much tell if it's chucking a truck. The entry level for a roofing company to get into residential roofing is a truck and a ladder and a hammer. And we don't mean anything bad if you have Chuck and a truck and no, that's no. your company. We love you just the same. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some poor guy out there named Chuck. Ah, I hate this podcast. <laughs> hey, you got to start somewhere. I get it. But most of the good ones are. But are that's least... a great point because um, roofs and permits, that's an easy one to get flagged and they will stop the work if you're not properly permitted in several of the cities around here. So that's really important because you don't want your roof left exposed because they didn't have a permit and they get halfway into the job and oh no here we are right. so that's a great point yep um one in a row I, <laughs> so a, a couple more things i want to cover and and i just want to take a couple minutes right now before we get into sort of a uh we're going to talk a little bit about solar because it's just you know you see a lot of it and everything but beforehand i want to talk a little bit about jr and company because um you know i've always known you you know we met a couple of years ago uh and and we've always known you as a local kansas city company and um but but that's not the entire picture and of course i tend to focus more on residential because that's where i work with my client base and that's not the entire picture of jr and company either so uh it's been kind of fun over time to learn how big you but explain to so you're in multiple cities right Right. So we, we uh, I've only been with the company about five years, but the company's 35 years old. It was purchased by a, a young man who's uh, in his early 30s even now, and he's a visionary, and he brought a bunch of gray-haired guys like me in to help him out a little bit. <laughs> but uh, we have a great uh, organization that's grown. We're the 28th largest roofing company in the United States, according to uh, the industry um, statistics. We have locations in Florida, Colorado Springs, uh, and then uh, the regional area, uh, Omaha, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, sure. and uh, Wichita. So we're, um, we're growing, uh, but Kansas City's home. We have the majority of our 320 employees based out of Kansas City. And um, residential roofing is a big part of our business uh, and a growing part. We can actually get materials, which in this day and age oh, has yeah. caused us to put even more focus on it and to get even uh, more efficient at it. But uh, we do both repair. Uh, well, let's start with inspections and then repair and re-roof. We don't do a lot of new construction. It's just an arena that we've chosen to stay out of. But um, it's probably about uh, 10 to 15% of our business overall right now, but growing. Right. So when you start talking about, I want to work with a company that if I have a problem or I have a question, and are they going to be here six months from now when the first, you know, heavy rain comes after the or the first ice storm? Uh, ch chances are you guys are going to be around. We will. We will. We we're planning on it anyway. So, so. yeah, no, it's, it's pretty exciting uh, to sort of think of any of our Kansas City companies that are that are local, that start local and that grow and expand, become regional and eventually national. And, you know, and there's a handful of companies in Kansas City that we can be very proud of that have done that. Um, I mean, you know, maybe one of the easiest ones to spot out is Boulevard Brewing. Sure. Right? Oh, yeah. You know, but I mean, there's, there's just a lot of really, so I always think that's really cool when, uh, when, when that happens and, and people here locally just become bigger on a national scene. Let's jump into solar. Okay. All right. So, um, 
I am, uh, I'll be honest, I'm pretty ignorant around solar. I don't know much about it. Uh, and so I'm going to be asking a lot of raw questions that I know none of the answers to. These big panels, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, tell so, me more. So um, everybody in the world is advertising, you know, you can get it for free or there's a major tax credit or all of that. Um, now, you guys install solar, too. That's correct, right? So yes. my, my first thought, my line of questioning was going to be, how does solar affect the structure of a roof? And then as I was doing my research and realized you guys do a lot of solar, mm -hmm. uh, so you can kind of maybe guide us down there a little bit as well. But let's talk about probably what's on the top of every listener's mind at the beginning, which is what does it really cost and what are the real um, uh, so upfront costs. Let's talk about that right. and, and the honesty around tax and energy credits and that sure. kind of stuff. Sure. Well, I will tell you, um, solar over the past decade has been um, a little hit and miss because it was driven by local rebates, local power companies, and uh, the federal government stepped in a few years ago and started offering some substantial tax credits on the installation and materials involved in a, a, a solar installation. And uh, those just went back up to 30% of the purchase price. Um, the, that greatly offsets the hardware cost. Um, I would say on the normal residential solar installation, you're looking at maybe $20,000, and then you get the 30%, so you get six back. And that's a tax credit, not a write-off. Um, so that's that. Just so you know, a tax credit reduces your tax burden by six thousand dollars. So if you paid twenty five thousand dollars in taxes this year, and maybe you paid it all in your regular paycheck, um, you will actually get six thousand dollars in a return. Now that's pretty simplistic of how taxes work, right. but but that's what a tax credit is. That so. actually is. It's it's much more lucrative than a write off. Yeah. Um, the other thing is that. The timing of when to install the solar is critical as it relates to the roof. You don't want to put a twenty-five dollars or $20,000 solar array on a roof that needs to re be replaced in oh, three no. years. Oh, no. No, no, okay? no. You don't want to put it on a roof that's got problems that uh, you know need to be repaired or whatever and, and make sure that— you Might know, hinder you getting to the roof, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there are other options. Um, for homeowners, but uh, you need to know that your solar company and the, I would get a roofing inspection before I called the solar people out just to see where your roof is in its life cycle. Um, the thing that will cause you a lot less grief later when it comes time to re-roof. You won't have to take that solar off and then pay to restall it. I was going to say, because if you have solar and you need to replace yeah. your roof, then you've got to, the solar has to be dismantled. Set aside, the roof has to be done, and the solar has to be put back on. That's correct. That's correct. The other option that many people who have um, the ability to do it from a land standpoint and they're, uh, if they're in a homeowner's association, they'll allow it, is to ground mount and still you know, get the solar benefits, but you need to have the space for it and so forth. But, well, and that's a good point, by the way, listeners. Right? Don't just go out and get solar. If you're in a neighborhood that has an HOA, you got to make sure it works. And I'm assuming, and I certainly didn't want to bring you on as a solar expert, but I'm assuming that you also have to have a roof that gets sun and, you know, that, that kind of stuff to make it worthwhile. You actually can put solar on any directional, uh, you know, direction, but the, the prime is the south-facing. So the solar on my house is 
uh, I had the option to go east, west, or south, and I could get about 20% more productivity out of the same square footage on the south side of the house. Wow. So, uh, and it's if you're ground mounting, you can po- yeah. point it any way you want. Okay. The other thing is, do you have obstruction? Uh, right. Any trees, any other buildings, any, you know, whatever it might be that is causing shade on your roof. The best thing to do is just take some pictures throughout the day on a sunny day if you can and just kind of see how your roof reacts throughout the day as the sun goes up and down. Is there structurally, because now we're adding weight, yeah. is there structurally things that, or, or is the weight not significant enough to affect that? Pretty much everything is fairly lightweight, aluminum type, um, you know, hardware and that sort of thing. So it's not a big weight deal. It's spread out over a lot of square footage. And I know the question on everybody's mind is how much money does this save you? Yeah. If I'm going to well, shell out twenty grand, but maybe a little less because of the tax credit. So what we try to do is we come up with what, uh, you know, a return on investment. How much did it cost me net after the tax credit? How much energy did I produce? Was I able to produce with my array? Because sometimes your roof configuration or your, the size of your home, depending on what you do, and maybe you, you're all electric, maybe you're not, that there's going to be an ROI on it. And a good ROI is if you can save enough energy over uh, a period of less than seven years, that's a good investment. Because the solar array on a new roof with architectural or above shingles should last 25 years. Mm. Okay. All right. And that includes like the the batteries or however the energy no, is stored. This, this would only be solar production. It would not be solar storage. Okay. So it's adding just pr- batteries would be double the price. Okay. That's and, a great point. I'm yeah. glad you brought that up. Yeah. Cause I didn't know. So this essentially feeds right into your home's electrical system. And no, it feeds into a co meter. The meter goes both directions. So it powers goes through an, uh, powers from the sun goes to an inverter which goes to your meter and the meter is a cogeneration. It will show you uh, when you get your statement and maybe someday we need to do something on solar because sure. it, it, it's really cool. Like I have an app on my solar that tells exactly how much it produced and how much I consumed that day and it gives me a positive and negative. If I overconsume, like right now this time of year, it's great because my air conditioners aren't running all the time and the sun's out, it's still daylight savings time. So I am way over producing right now. The power company will let me bank the over consumption. Oh, nice. uh, so it goes in. Okay. And yeah, then, we definitely need to have a full podcast on this. this yes, is, I'd love to do it yeah. because there's so much more, and we have a, a guy who would be super at it that can well, is narrow and deep. Is that uh, Nathan? And Nathan. Yeah. Soon, as soon as, yeah. Soon as we're done, I know we're going to see if we can schedule JR. that. Absolutely. Because, yeah, I just saw where you're going, and I see where we are in time, and I'm like, that is so cool, and I want to learn so much more about it. But the short answer is. You can have solar. There's no batteries to be replaced, et cetera, et cetera. Its lifespan could be the same as an architectural or a class three roof. And um, you might get money back. And and realistically, because we hear, we kind of hear the same thing with high efficiency furnaces, which is gas furnaces, which is you need to be in. You need to know that you're going to use it for five plus years and then you'll start seeing a positive ROI. You'll see it day one in your energy bills, but then you have that upfront cost that you have to offset over a period of time. But keep in mind, when you add a higher uh, grade of shingle and you add solar, you're also adding to the asset value of your home. 
Somebody has to understand that though, because I do struggle with buyers that see solar panels, and I had to do a little educational process myself because uh, five, six years ago, Laura Burmeister actually bought a house with solar panels. We had to go deep into figuring out, and you've got to make sure you cover your bases on the lean side because that creates an additional. Um, coverage that you have to provide or not coverage is the wrong word I apologize but just receipts that you have to provide showing that that was paid for or there's no liens or whatever Um, when you Uh, have solar panels because that's something that the appraiser flags it's something that um, the home inspector flags because there is a whole um, pay synergy type of thing is what it was and it and it was more predatory lending than anything else unfortunately and solar panels got a bad rap over that unfortunately but there's pieces of that to the residential puzzle that you need to make sure your real estate state professional understands and everybody involved in your real estate process understands so that you can dot all those I's and cross all those T's. The thing about solar, I mean, in terms of the home values, uh, I'm, I'm getting up in years and I'm going to retire and downsize. I live out on a farm and he got I put like it on, me. Yeah, there we go. I put it on uh, about three years ago and my electric bills were running about 450 on average a month. Now they're $31. So take 450 minus 31 and divide that into the yeah. acquisition costs and you've got your ROI. Well, and the other thing this goes right along with is NAR has produced a study now that says the average homeowner is staying in their home about eight years. And so what would be important, I think, for our listeners is if this is something that you're really interested in, you need to do this probably at the beginning cycle of when you purchase your home and pursue that and maybe even budget that into your home purchase because on average, the homeowner is going to live there about eight years and they're going to recap before they have that eight years up mm-hmm. so to, well, in order but, to maximize but, their investment they're going to want to get into that and we could talk about what the return is on a sale i think that would take a little more and maybe into our solar podcast we definitely want to right. jump but, into but that to there. your point dave right if you've got a 25 year system that's knocking your electric bill down that much and it's being sold 10 years in as a buyer as long as all everything's in place that that's that's pretty tasty yeah right? that that's pretty appealing to say hold it this this home that might take three hundred plus dollars a month on average to to heat and cool power. to yeah. power in general is going to cost me fifty or less. Hey, I'll tell you what, it's to the point now. Like I'm replacing, I'm redoing my kitchen, and I'm going to go to. I have a gas deal now. I'm going to go to a, an electric range top. You know, you're not a chef, are you, buddy? I, 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 no, yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. The, 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 cook, the cooks are like, no, oh, never, yeah, never, <laughs> right? But you know, the thing is, all of these energy costs, they're not staying where they are now. Right. You're right. And my, you know, propane went up 60%. Yeah. yeah. And that's a real cost in the country. Yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah, natural I have gas it has gone up just immensely. Yeah. So. All right. Well, we are out of time. We have so much more that we could be talking about. It's he awesome. He gets to tell us his craziest story, doesn't he? Uh, oh, yeah. So okay, we do I'll have that. That's where story. I was headed, right? Which is, we've got the last question we always ask. I can't ask, live without knowing his craziest right? story, what, Eric. What's the, and what's the craziest thing you've seen well, in your business in, in residential? Or, oh, I, or hopefully. I, I can't tell that story, but oh, okay. I will tell the raccoon Man, story. You, you would be surprised how many times we hear, I can't tell I can't really the tell you the best story. story. After, we, after we stop recording with WMS. Well, we story. had... Um, we got called out on a uh, residential service call, and uh, we get out there, and we had done the roof, and they said it was leaking. We identified that a raccoon had ch- uh, chewed his way into the fascia right underneath the roof metal um, on the edge of the roof and was living in the uh, attic and, uh, and then died in the attic, oh. and that's how they found out. 
Um, nice smell there. Yeah. So we went and uh, fixed the uh, problem on the fascia and then, um, you know. Well, hopefully somebody extricated the, the, the deceased, deceased raccoon. The raccoon yeah. was, First, was yeah. pulled out. And uh, the, the when the guys came back, they showed me some pictures because evidently this thing had been up there for a while. And they didn't. They couldn't go in the attic with the smell the way it was, so they went to the local store and bought some disinfectant wipes, and they just shoved them up their nose. Oh my god! And ran in without breathing much, and grabbed the thing and ran out. And so they had a picture of them with the disinfectant wipes the, 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 sticking out of their out noses. Their nose. <laughs> they wouldn't make it as cops because dead bodies are a real uh, thing in the world of the police. Yeah. And I have heard, and I hope I never have to experience that that smell is like no other. Some of the smells that you can get with decaying anything is pretty yeah. bad. And uh, I know in the movies they, they take Vicks and they shove them in. So I wonder if that's real. We're going to have to ask your husband if that's real or not. <laughs> All right, we are out of time. It's been a great episode, and I really appreciate you coming, Dave. It's, it's oh, just my been pleasure. awesome. Just, uh, if, if people want to contact uh, JR and Company to learn about their roof, set up some maintenance, maybe talk about a new one, how do they get a hold of you guys? Uh, they can give us a call at 913-683-4488 or visit us at on the World Wide Web at jrcousa.com. Awesome. Excellent. Well, once again, thank you. It's another great episode of Get Real KC. Until next time. You have been listening to Get Real KC with Eric Jurgensen and Jen Justice. For more information or to contact our hosts, visit us at dreamhomesbygen.com where you can find more episodes exploring real estate as it matters to you.